The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. Hello and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Throughout this week, we have been covering the ongoing general election campaign in our election daily podcasts, while focusing in our regular weekly podcast on particular aspects which we think are worth exploring with our journalists. Today, it's the complex and contentious issue of housing policy. And as it happens this weekend, the Irish Times launches The Housing Fix, a major series exploring the social, personal, economic and political aspects of this current housing crisis and looking at potential solutions to it. Later on, I'll be talking to Owen Burke-Kennedy from our business department and to our Dublin editor, Olivia Kelly, about some of those aspects. But first, I'm joined by political reporter Jennifer Bray, who's been looking at the policies of the different parties. Jennifer, we've had a flurry of manifestos and policy announcements this week, but can you tell me, first of all, when it comes to the crucial question of providing social and affordable housing, what are the points of difference between the parties? Well, to be honest with you, they're they're kind of all broadly line. The main difference in terms of affordable and social housing is the targets that they've set. Uh, and they do actually vary quite widely. So if we look at Fianna Fáil, um, they're saying that they will build uh, 50,000 units um, every year by 2025. So 250,000 units. Now, that is an awful lot. And the questions were asked during the week of Michal Martin, is that realistic? Does the sector actually have the capacity to build that amount of houses? And his answer was basically that, look, regardless of those kind of questions, this is the ambition that we should have and this is what we need to do. So I think that they're actually the highest, they've set the highest targets of the parties that I can see. So Fine Gael then, moving on to Fine Gael, they say they'll build 11,000 social uh, homes this year, 12,000 every year after. So that's around 60,000. Uh, if we move on to Sinn Féin, they're talking about around 100,000 in the next five years, Labour 80,000 and the Greens uh, 36,000 a year. Um, and then if we move on, I suppose, to the to the sock dams, they also talk about 100,000. So there's, there's not that much variance. It seems to be somewhere between... 50,000 to 100,000. So the scale of their ambition is different, but they're all talking about it in the same terms. And just to be clear, when they say they're going to build these houses, Mm. are they actually going to build these houses or are they going to acquire them or are they going to rent them? Or is there any difference visible between that or do they just all fudge it? Some of them fudge it. Sinn Féin are quite clear in that they want this to be uh, pretty much rolled out through local authorities. I mean, they see this very much as, as a public housing issue. So they've been quite clear about that. I mean, Fine Gael kind of talk about um, the, the, the programme that they have at the moment in terms of building uh, social houses. So they they see their targets as being realistic because this is the building that's happening now as opposed to more aspirational promises for 50,000 homes a year. So I, I don't think they've really gone into great detail about the the way in which they'll build them. It seems to be more at the moment about here are our targets and here's what we will do if, if we are elected government. And what about the actual problem facing many people, which is the problem of homelessness, which mm. people are actually experiencing? Uh, is there much difference, actually? Is there kind of a commitment to try and get rid of homelessness? But is there anything more specific that 
differentiates one party from another? Well, some parties have said that they will increase the investment uh, in terms of different NGOs or different bodies. Um, Fianna Fáil are saying they'll increase investment in homeless services by around 250 million euro uh, per year. So that's obviously quite a lot. And they're also talking about setting up this kind of rolling acquisition fund in the housing agency that will basically buy repossessed units to keep those tenants in place. So that's that's one maybe different idea. But a lot of the parties seem to agree on this housing first approach. So housing first is basically where you are, as the title says, you are given a property and then you are provided with wraparound services. And it's been proven in other countries to work really quite well and and to significantly reduce homelessness. So we've seen some uh, we've seen some targets set. So we know that uh, Fine Gael has promised in its manifesto 400 new housing first tenancies um, by the end of next year. So it doesn't sound like a lot and it probably isn't um, but they're starting from a low base level most of the other parties are also supporting an increase we talk about Labour they, they're going down the same lines um, and um, the Greens also so it's, it seems to me the focus on homeless will, homelessness will be uh, increased investment in services a housing first approach for the majority of parties and also they all say the same thing if we can sort out the issue of supply we can go a long way towards sorting out the issue of homelessness and if we can address the private rental market that too will factor in. So they view it as as kind of a holistic approach. Right. Now, the big point of difference, and it seems to me the bit where there's been accusations flying around a little bit about auction politics, um, is in relation to uh, not the supply side, but to incentives to buyers, to first-time buyers specifically. And there, there have been different approaches, certainly by the two main parties there. Yeah. So I think we'll take the difference between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. So firstly, Fianna Fáil's main initiative is an SSAI-type scheme um, and that would involve a 33% top up, up to a level of €10,000. So there has been criticisms of this during the week that people will hold off. Uh, first time buyers will hold off until they find out who will go in, uh, who will get into government uh, and that this will have an effect. I think that people have gone into detail on that already. Um, so the difference between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, I suppose, is they are pr- proposing this saver scheme up to 10,000 euros, whereas Fine Gael are proposing a tax rebate scheme. So they already have in place the help to buy scheme um, and they're proposing to increase this uh, up to 10%. So basically you can get up to 30 grand um, as a tax rebate. Uh, under that help to buy scheme. So when it was first introduced, you could get a tax refund, which was a maximum of €20,000, which I think is 5% the cost of building or buying a new home. Um, and they're they're putting that up to 10%. So €30,000 is a lot. So if you look at it kind of in simplistic terms, the difference that maybe some first-time buyers will see is, you know, I can get 10000 or I can get 30000 And that is the way people will, will look at the mm. kind of the manifesto, especially first-time buyers who have to think along... The lines of their bottom line, basically. Sure, so, 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 yeah. so it can literally be yeah. the auction politics there. Well, indeed, yeah, indeed. Now, the one thing I would say is that the the help to buy scheme had, you know, its critics when it was launched. Um, people said that it would have a, a very, it would distort the market. That hasn't really been borne out. And I think it's fair to say that most of the other parties are not as keen to give big wadges of cash to first-time buyers. They want to fix other parts of the housing system and that will therefore benefit first-time buyers. Yeah, so I think the Green Party were interesting here. So they have said that they don't believe that grants or or tax reliefs to buyers will, will deal with the fundamental issue of supply and they're saying that only building new homes and bringing vacant properties back into use will do that. Um, Labour have taken kind of a different approach as well. They're saying that they favour a rent-to-buy scheme. So this would basically mean that if you 
we're paying your rent for, let's say, three years and you could prove that you had paid in full for that time, that would count towards your deposit. So in a way, that's kind of similar to the help to buy scheme in, in, in a sense, but they kind of view it as being a more realistic option and, and less of the kind of, well, the, le- further away from the accusation of auction politics, that's for sure. Um, Sinn Féin, their focus is entirely, well, not entirely, but a lot on bringing down house prices through an investment in affordable uh, purchase homes, which goes back to that kind of holistic thing we talked about before. Mm. And it struck me actually at their at their launch during the week that, you know, they, they haven't set up any kind of scheme like Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael or promised any scheme like that. But they do talk about mortgage interest rates. And that is something that... As far as I can see, a lot of the parties have failed to grasp in their manifestos. We know that we pay a way above average across the across the EU, and they are saying that if they are if they get into government, they will bring in uh, in a law, which would give the central bank the power to cap mortgage interest rates. So I think there's another side to this that's away from the kind of pledges and uh, and the the grants and and the tax release and all this, uh, and that's about the the rate that you pay when when you eventually find a home if you're lucky enough to find a home. There is that. And there's also the rate that you pay if you're renting in the private sector too. And there's been a certain amount of confusion and contention over that and the positions of the party on it. I think I'm right in saying that Fianna Fáil only a, a few weeks or a couple of months ago supported a Sinn Féin motion calling for a calling for a rent freeze. Mm. But now Fianna Fáil has decided that that's not probably constitutional or legal. Mm. So they are not supporting that anymore. Fine Gael are against that. They say it's illegal. But there's other parties that, that are pushing for that. There are. And I think you're right on, on, on Fianna Fáil. And I've talked to a couple of senior people in Fianna Fáil and there has been a lot of internal turmoil about what to do about the rent issue because like you said before Christmas Michal Martin said in the doll he, he basically called upon Leo Varadkar to implement a rent freeze and it was the first time that he'd done that and it was seen as a major U-turn since then They've kind of been back and forth on it. They're wedded to it. They're examining it. They're not. And then this week they released legal advice which said it will be unconstitutional. This has been kind of hotly contested by Labour and by Sinn Féin who say an across-the-board ban, an indefinite ban uh, freeze would be unconstitutional. They're saying uh, Labour and uh, Sinn Féin that a temporary rent freeze, let's say three years, is totally constitutional and completely doable and that they're absolutely certain of that. So the biggest point of contention in the election campaign so far has been around uh, a rent freeze. Fine Gael also saying that they will not go down the road of, of rent caps or rent freezes. They point towards places like Berlin where that such a, such a measure is due to come into place in the coming weeks and there are signs that it's dampening um, construction. So that's not great. So th- their Fine Gael are, are continuing with their rent pressure zones. Now th- they actually do come up for review at the end of next year. And it'll be interesting to see if they're increased, decreased, kept in place uh, or not. So the majority of parties calling for a rent freeze, majority of parties calling for a rent cap, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil firmly outside that tent. Jen, there's murmurings around that a lot of people in both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael believe that actually we may be about to turn a corner on this particular crisis and we may start to see some improvements in the housing problems in the next two or three years and that the next government, whichever one it is, will benefit from that, which would obviously be pretty galling for, for Fine Gael if that was the case. Is that what people think? It is. Well, it's certainly what people in Fine Gael think. And I've heard it on and off the record. In fact, Colin Brophy, uh, just before the election was called, came out and issued uh, quite a scathing review of Fianna Fáil's policies and said that they were made up on the spot, unimplemental, un- unimplementable and in some cases illegal. Now, that, that's his opinion, obviously. And then after that, he made a really telling comment where he said that he believes Fianna Fáil will seek to claim credit for the delivery of the current government's housing policies, including for the 11,000 
thousand homes, social homes that we we mentioned earlier on, and it is it is something that's talked about. There is a sense that. The, a, a corner is being turned. There is a sense that the Rebuilding Ireland plan has been heavily criticised. The government has stuck with it, but that maybe it's finally coming to fruition. And there has been one or two bright spots for the government over the last 12 months in this regard. We're seeing higher levels of, of, of completions and planning permissions. So th- this is the fear and, and we don't know what's going to happen at the end of the election. We, we don't know who's going to come out on, on top. But we'll, we should know actually really by the end of this year if that corner has been turned and and look, that's politics. That's the way it goes. You know, people will take credit for all the good things and then the bad things were somebody else's fault. So, hey ho. Jennifer, thanks for coming in. So Owen Burke Kennedy from our business department is here. Owen, Jennifer was talking about the different party proposals on rent controls and rent freezes. From an overall perspective, what, how well or not do those work? Well, that's the interesting question, isn't it? They they came on board in 2016 and since that point we've had still dramatic rises in rent. So, uh, you know, the, the, the market is still barreling ahead and also the zones that were first rolled out were, you know, in certain areas. Now it seems the whole country is, is a rent control mm. zone and now some of the opposition's parties are calling for a complete rent freeze. So it's it's unclear just what it's done. It's certainly probably helped in situ tenants, but it hasn't helped aspiring uh, renters. So, um, you know, there's a lot of research to say that uh, also if you impose controls on the market, some landlords exit, which can reduce rental accommodation. Now, the jury's out on whether we've seen that in Ireland. But what we definitely have seen is a lower turnover in the rental market. So people probably load to get back out into the market. They're probably playing below the market rate. And if they were to go back out, they'd probably be faced with a much bigger uh, rent. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that makes complete sense. I mean, yeah. why, would you, why, you know, why would you get rid of your, your fixed rate or I suppose only a very small, small increase? Exactly. So, you know, like so many government interventions we've had, we have these unintended consequences that you know, often come attached to popular and seemingly sensible policies. And then we have this, oh, well, we didn't realise this was going to happen, which is maybe a low turnover of rental stock. At the moment, the rental stock in Dublin is, is incredibly low. And yet we've got a population that's much bigger. We've got an economy and we've got greater wages. The other question is, you know, a greater commitment to social housing and social housing is a broad term, it should be said. Um, a greater uh, commitment to increasing that social housing has an impact on the private rental market also. Yeah, and the government have been a little bit mischievous in its social housing numbers because they talk about social housing numbers going up to this level. I think it's uh, 11,000 this year, 12,000 next year. But a lot of those social housing numbers are actually what they term social housing solutions, which include supporting people in private uh, tenancies uh, under their HAP scheme. So across the Western world, we've we've had this uh, shift, which, which they call from, from bricks to benefits, which is an interesting paradigm where governments are increasingly now using rental supports to house people who can't afford market rents. Uh, and therefore, we've had a kind of drop off in, in social housing uh, numbers, and not just in Ireland, but in elsewhere. And so that puts, ad- again, additional pressures on the rental sector. Now, the other part of this, which has been discussed you know, at, at great length, is giving people the opportunity to move out of the rental sectors. There's this longstanding tradition in Ireland that the ideal way to live is to live in a house which you own yourself, or at least the bank owns it for the next 20 years, and then then you finally own it. And, you know, there's one incentive in place from the current government um, incentivizing people, first-time buyers, uh, looking to help them out with their deposit. Um, and Fianna Fáil have another proposal. You were pretty critical of that proposal in an article this week in the Irish Times. Yeah, so Fianna Fáil have come up with this, uh, 
new uh, special savings incentive uh, scheme, another SSI, and you remember we had one famously just before the crash, but this would be obviously to help um, aspiring home purchasers to get a deposit. So this would be uh, essentially uh, encouraging them to save and then giving them an additional uh, uh, you know, top-up when mm. the scheme matures, very much like the way the last one worked. Um, so now that uh, Fianna Fáil, the party's favourite to become the next government, have offered this, it's likely that it's going to basically pause uh, the buying plans of a lot of people, especially if, if, if 10,000 has been waived in front of them. So that could have an effect of sucking demand out of the market for uh, for at a time when a lot of supply is coming on. Because people are just going to sit on their hands till they wait to see if this new incentive is exactly. going to be Exactly, and to. they'll sit on their hands. And even if the new incentive doesn't actually materialise, there'll be a, a sitting on the hands to see if it does materialise. Uh, so this could suck supply or demand out of the market right at the point when supply is, is, is coming on board. The long-term consequences, or at least the medium-term consequences of that, could be that we have a further deflation of house prices, which we're seeing a little bit at the moment. Um, that is a kind of a signal uh, for builders maybe to pause on their developments. And then when this scheme matures, we then have a, a, a sudden surge in demand where people's savings now are suddenly buttressed and they go out to buy, but the builders are taking the signal from price to reduce development. So we have the government again fiddling at the margins and it might work, it might just cause additional volatility in the market, which we've seen time and time again. And if you remember the uh, last SSI was brought in to reduce inflation and kind of cool the economy in general. Mm. And what actually happened was Ireland's overheating economy kind of outlasted the scheme. And when the scheme matured in 2007, we had all these additional funds coming back on the market and the economy was at boiling point at this stage. There was, uh, you know, no very negative consequences for us. I mean, this is, this is not the first time that governments have incentivized first-time buyers in particular. It is a long history going back decades and that. Is it a good idea to do it? Well, I mean... Nobody seems to ask the question, like, why are we incentivizing people to buy assets which are very, very heavily priced? I mean, if you look at the average or typical or medium uh, home in Dublin, you know, uh, 370,000, a lot of people will quibble that you can't buy much for that, but that is the official figure. Um, it's in excess of nine times the average wage in the country. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a big price and we're getting young people, you know, maybe into a lot of debt, early in their careers, um, will house prices come down in the future? Should we be uh, incentivizing them at a different time in the market? These questions are, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, it, it, it seems like the health to buy scheme was, was a popular measure with a certain cohort. The government had no uh, qualms about keeping it going in the budget and they're actually now going to maybe add another 10 grand to the existing 20 grand uh, rebate. And then if Fianna Fáil gets this way, we'll have a help to buy scheme and an SSIA scheme all incentivizing people to buy all around the idea that home ownership is the way forward. Well, I suppose the the idea is, and people often describe this in cultural terms rather than economic terms, that Irish people want, really desire, have some strange innate psychological desire to, to own their own homes. But I remember Jack Horgan Jones wrote a piece just a few months ago, which was also saying that our economy is structured in such a way that it incentivizes this because we have relatively low um, pensions. But what we do have is incentives to uh, acquire an asset which is paid off by the time people reach retirement. And that's sort of built into things. And I can see that. I, I can see people I know myself who have lived their lives through renting 
and find themselves really stuck as they move towards the end of their lives because they don't have the financial wherewithal to rent anymore. And as we know, we don't have the controls and the protections that exist in other European countries, for example. Yeah, I mean, I was always brought up uh, with people around me talking about rent is dead money and you need to get on the property ladder. And I don't even remember ever thinking about this myself. It was just drummed into you from an early age that getting on the property ladder was a good thing and governments have reacted to that. Um, You know, yeah, we're constantly told that we have some fixation around homeowning. It's not really, the, I'm not too sure just how true that is. And it does a stretch back to, the, you know, the famine days or when we were evicted off our land. But um, it's it's hard to know really just, you know. Is it essentially a subsidy to the building industry in the end? Well, you see, that's, that's a really good question because a lot of these... Um, measures are what economists call demand side measures, which means that if you give every first time buyer an extra 10,000 pounds, euros, sorry, to buy a a house, then they all go up and the price goes up. And ultimately, the premium goes back to the developer or the builder. And the purchasing power of the first time buyer you're trying to help out is largely unchanged and you just have a rise in prices. This has been said time and time again to successive administrations, but there's a kind of electoral popularity around these measures for a certain cohort of buyers and we seem to get them all all the time and it's not clear that we're really I mean think of yourself we've had 10 or 15 years of property housing crisis has anything really got better for the buyer doesn't seem that way and yet we've had scheme after scheme after scheme thanks very much for coming in Our Dublin editor, Olivia Kelly, is very close to the -the on-the-ground realities of our dysfunctional housing system. One little explored but absolutely crucial element of that issue is the role of the Land Development Agency, which is a body whose future role may perhaps come into question depending on what the outcome of the election is. Olivia, tell me about the Land Development Agency. Well, the Land Development Agency hasn't done anything yet, so we can't yet either blame it or give it credit for anything because it's not quite there yet. Now, they're doing an awful lot of work in the background. It could, in fact, be a problem for them in that they're not on full legislative footing yet. So whoever gets into power decides they don't like this. It, it could fall. It's one of these these bills that, that hasn't got through that yet. That could disappear. Yeah. Now, it could very, very easily. The next government could just decide, right, we're going ahead with this because it's so far in train, but it's not, it's not fully over the line yet. So just to go back to basics, what is it? When was it first proposed? And how long has it taken to not get it up by now? <laughs> it's actually, well, it would have been one of the Rebuilding Ireland, the Fine Gael scheme mm-hmm. for transforming housing. And that came out, I think it was... It, the summer of 2016. So it was one of the proposals in that. So it hasn't been too long in the gestation. But the the whole idea of it is to look at state lands that aren't being used or aren't being used to their full capacity. So uh, say the the Dundrum Mental Hospital Mm -hmm. and other lands like CIE lands that they have out in Inchicore where these huge swathes of land that maybe possibly could have homes built on them. And also to look at, say, lands like that that the state owns where there's adjacent private lands and is there a case either for doing... uh, deals with private developers to, you know, concurrently develop or buy CPO the lands, possibly even if if developers aren't willing to develop uh, CPO, the state CPO the lands, compulsory purchase the lands from the developers. Um, 
Then there are also, and I think this is where uh, politicians, local politicians will get their backs up, they're also um, talking about looking at, and uh, actually in some cases are already doing it, looking at local authority lands that maybe have stalled for a long, long time. Maybe some of these lands have had um, development plans on them for 20 years or more. So why do we need this agency? Why can't the local authorities or the state just do it? Well, you'll see all the the manifestos out now from all the different parties and they all have different numbers of of homes they're going to build if over their five-year term if they're in power and it all ranges from, and I'm talking about sort of the social end or uh, or public housing um, as as they keep using, Um, but all ranging from around 60,000 to 100,000. There's no way... There's no way local authorities are going to to build those numbers of houses like or homes, apartments, whatever it is. Like in 2019, Dublin City Council built 92. Like when you think of it like that, now that's there were more social houses built in Dublin than that, but it was approved housing bodies. It was the voluntary sector building mm-hmm. them. The City Council, social housing, 92. That's the number they, they, they built in, in 2019. So what has been holding them back? So th- there are two problems here, essentially. There's bu- bureaucracy and then there's politics. The bureaucracy is, I think, something that, that the LDA would possibly be able... Well, but the LDA would possibly be able to uh, escape from these twin evils because it will be, a se- say, a separate standalone company. But d- to sort of tell you what's been holding back housing, the you have the housing division, the housing department within every local authority. And then you have the Department of Housing. Anything above €2 million that a local authority wants to build, they have to go and uh, seek approval from the Department of Housing. Now, that would be fine if they went to the Department of Housing and said, look, this is what we want to do. Here's a scheme, what we want to do. Approval, yes or no. But that's not the way it works. It's a a staged approval process that apparently has been been rationalised from eight stages down to four stages and previously was something like 13 stages and more. But it's still taking about four years to get approval from the Department of Housing to actually build anything. But then as well, you have your your councillors who you have to go to to get who the officials in. So you have your officials who are going to the Department of Housing in in the local authority. These same housing officials, they also have to go to the councillors to get approval. And just I'll give you the example of O'Devany Gardens, which is quite recently and prominently in in the news. So in 2015, the council officials would have come to the councillors with their their plan for the redevelopment of O'Devney Gardens. It took two years of council meetings, of going back and forth to get the councillors to agree with what would happen on O'Devney Gardens. So they agreed that in 2017 and everything was marching on jollily. And then you have the procurement process, which is separate again from the from the Department of Housing process and the councillor process. So we went through all that. So after having agreed it in 2017, January 2017, eventually they selected their tender just uh, in July there. And it was Bartra who the councillors seem to not like because Bartra is developing co-living and that's politically unpopular. The, so so basically, the, the councillors at that stage, after the tenderer had been chosen, decided, oh, no, let, let's start again. 
we'll we'll just scrap all this. Well, almost decided. That's what they were they were threatening to do. All that pro- that five year process for bringing you from would have started pre twenty fifteen. So bringing you up to now, mm. that was almost completely scrapped. Completely scrapped, and. If, if if that had happened, it would be another decade before anything would happen there. Mm. Um, now, in the end, the councillors were, well, it was suggested to them that the LDA might have a particular interest in these lands if they couldn't reach agreement on how to develop them. And that kind of, I think, put the frighteners on them. They thought, okay, oh, so that's, the LDA that's, will that's come like in. That's like a threat, is it? So will well, the LDA well, be, well, be a, an yeah. organisation that puts manners on people in that way? <laughs> possibly, possibly. The, the head of housing in the council, Brendan Kenny, insists it wasn't a threat. He said it was a, a reminder to them of what the position is okay. rather than a threat. But yeah, to me, it sounds very much like a threat. If you don't get your act together on this, well, a, a a bigger boy is going to come in and, you know, pick up the ball and it'll be his ball. But of course, there is a big question now, isn't there, about the LDA? The f- legislation isn't fully in place. We'll have a new government. Who knows who's going to be in it? Yeah. And they may have a completely different policy. For example, Sinn Féin have a totally different policy on, on mm. what the LDA should do than some of the other parties. Yeah, the, the, the concern that... The, that there would be with the LDA is because to keep it now, I don't want to get bogged down in this too much, but to keep it off balance sheet, it has to behave in a way like a commercial company. It has to be okay. able to wash its own face. So it has to have some uh, some private uh, housing for sale on what is essentially public land. Okay. Now, everybody is raising, this when it come to the public housing issue, everybody is raising hell about this. The councillors have said, oh, we don't want any, you know, private housing on public land. We just want public housing. They all have their own different definitions of what public housing is. For some of them, it's affordable housing for sale. That's still private housing. It might be state mm-hmm. subsidised private housing. But you're still selling it in, to... In the private market, yeah, albeit with, you're, you know, You're selling it to centers. someone at yeah. a discount. Yeah. But they they eventually, it's their house. So presumably they'll eventually be able to say in, once, say, a clawback of the discount period mm. has gone by, they'll presumably eventually in somewhere between 10 and 20 years' time be able to say, OK, well, I need to move house. I've now got a job in Galway, so I'm selling my house. Then mm. it's private. It's mm. in the private market. And let me ask you then, just... Um, where does Sinn Féin stand on that? Because I understood that they launched their housing policy this week and they make a lot of play about, as well as traditional social housing being available, yeah. that there would be affordable housing of, I think that the, the rate was, the price that was mentioned was €250,000 yeah. or less. Yeah, which, that's a house for sale. They're, they're, in their manifesto, I saw it was a, they're, they're going to develop 100,000 public houses. They say 60 of those will be just standard your social housing. Um, and then they're saying 10% will be uh, affordable rental, mm-hmm. but then 30% will be affordable housing for sale. Well, how you can say that that's state housing, I don't know when I've just explained someone's going to buy it and it's their house. Why, why would anyone buy a house that isn't going to be their house at the end of the day yeah. to do with what, what they want? Finally, just as a private citizen looking at this stuff from outside, I sometimes, my, my spirits sink when I hear what you're describing here. You're me a glacially slow process of dealing with probably the worst crisis that's facing the country at the moment. A series of dysfunctional institutions are ones which have taken far too long to get up and running. And meanwhile, all around us, we see, we see human misery. Yeah, 
cry. That's that's my that's my advice. Yeah, no, I, I think the LDA is possibly is possibly a way out of this. I don't think there's there's any one way out of this, but I think the LDA, you know, if it if it can operate the way it's intended to to operate, yeah, it it uh, it, it could be a way out of it. And you know, the, the, while people may cry about the about you know. Um, uh, private housing being built on public land like there's 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 and I'm sure you'll have people who disagree with me but there's there's reams of evidence and 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 research showing that mixed communities are the ones which function best you know communities where there's a mix of incomes a mix of tenures that's what works rather than going again. I, the, the, you know, the LDA had its predecessor in, say, the, the, the National Building Association back in the 60s and 70s. They went and they built Ballymun, they built Darndale. These are places that ended up with terrible problems. You know, we, we, can't, we can't replicate that again. So I think it, the LDA is on the right track with having a mix of 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 people of different incomes who can, you know, if if you have different incomes, you'll get in shops. If you've if you've lots of people with no money, you won't get in the other facilities that you need to make a community. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks to Jennifer, to Olivia and to Owen for joining us today. Thanks also to our producer, Declan Conlon. Remember, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, whatever your preferred podcast provider might be. You can also find us at irishtimes.com slash podcast. Your views are extremely welcome. You can mail us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com or you can usually find us on Twitter. Until the next time, thanks for listening.